The ushers are going to receive the offering today. Pastor Kent is uh, still in Australia. Uh, they've, I think it's Monday morning there, and so they'll be uh, wrapping up their time in Australia here rapidly, and then, Lord willing, they should be back in Anchorage at the end of the week. And so we're looking forward to Pastor Kent's return. Uh, so what I've heard so far is that they've had a great trip, and so we're looking forward to them coming back and hearing the stories of that. And uh, today, we have the privilege of hearing Pastor Steve again. He spoke last weekend. And how many of you uh, applied the word that he taught us last weekend? A few people, a few hands. Okay. The, I'm not going to say it, Troy. <laughs> Troy was just wanting me to say the word, and I'm not going to do it, because then you guys are going to think I'm, like, coughing or something. But anyway, we're really excited to have Steve back again this Sunday. So, uh, Steve, come and share what the Lord's placed on your heart. Give Steve a warm MCA welcome. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, MCA. If you guys were not here last week, I, uh, I taught everybody, the new word I taught everybody was yeet. And so, uh, and I asked people to use it in everyday language with their kids and record their response. Um, so if you have a recording of that, please, I would love to see that recording after church, uh, see your kids freak out a little bit. Uh, which is a lot of fun. Quick update from campus. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Steven, and uh, and I, uh, and my wife and I, direct Chi Alpha at uh, the University of Alaska Anchorage, a ministry for college students and young adults here in the city. And uh, we're having fun. Small groups are getting filled up. And if you could be praying uh, for our next big event, we are having our fall retreat is coming up October fourth through the sixth. And uh, if you are a young adult or college student, and you would like to come, please come talk to me afterwards. I can let you know how to get signed up. But uh, be praying for that event. Last year at that event, 20 students uh, made decisions for Jesus Christ. And uh, over, over, well, right around 300 people were out there for that event. And so please be praying for that event and praying that uh, many people come and that many lives are changed. So this morning, I want to talk about uh, something that scares a lot of us, uh, scares the scares the majority of people. I want to talk about risk. And uh, there's a lot of people that are uh, probably on every end of the spectrum when it comes to risk. Maybe you're maybe you're more naturally a risk taker. You like the adrenaline adrenaline rush that you get from from taking risks. Others of you like to play it a little bit safer. You are maybe a risk averse. Person, you don't like risk. You like the. You don't like to challenge the status quo. You just like life to be peaceful. And this morning, I want to talk about what that looks like in the kingdom of God. You see, risk, essentially by definition, is an exposure to the chance of injury or loss, a hazard or dangerous chance that you take. And I would argue that risk takers have accomplished some of the greatest things in the history of the world. Right. In fact, I don't think anything noteworthy ever really does get accomplished unless people are willing to take risks. And this is true throughout history, that risk takers have accomplished some of the greatest things ever. And getting people to take risks or, or uh, encouraging people to take risks is sometimes very difficult. For example, uh, one of my favorite speeches ever uh, that is non-sermon related was a speech that JFK gave. Uh, back in like 1960s something, I don't know uh, exactly when he gave it. I do not remember this speech. I was not alive then. Uh, but some of you might remember this speech. It was the speech he gave when he told the nation that we were going to try to send a man to the moon. 
All right. And wherever you're at on the spectrum of whether you thought that was a good idea or a bad idea, JFK had a one line in there that I thought was really significant. He said, we choose to put a man on the moon. Well, we're going to try my JFK impersonation here for a second. Okay. We choose to put a man on the moon. We choose to go to the moon and do these other things. Not because it is easy, but because it is hard. Right. So and when he said that he inspired an entire nation. They're like, yes, you're right. We're Americans. We do hard things. This is, let's go. Right. And the entire nation was like, yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's go. Let's put a man on the moon. You see what JFK did in that speech was he convinced a nation that the risks and the costs associated with sending a man to the moon was worth the potential for success. And that is what risk takers all have in common. Their fear of failure, their, their, their vision of success becomes bigger than their fear of failure or the costs associated with that risk. And I would argue with you this morning that, that as men and women of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should be the world's greatest risk takers, right? Because we serve a God who says that if I call you to do something bold, I am not going to leave you and forsake you. We serve a God who says, I'm going to go with you into the fire, as we just sang this morning. We serve a God who says, I'm going to go before you and prepare in advance the good works that I have called you to do. In other words, there's no way to lose. There's actually not a risk involved because risk would mean that there's a chance of injury or loss. And God says, you're always going to win. Now, and, and think about it, right? Even if following Jesus costs me my life, I still win, right? I still win. Even if following Jesus means that my life ends because of following Jesus, I still am a winner eternally, right? And so... As men and women of God, we should be the world's greatest risk takers. And when we do that, powerful things happen. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is how do we get brave enough and bold enough to take risks? And then what happens when we do? And we're going to look at a guy in the Bible by the name of Philip, who I believe was a great risk taker and has a lot to teach us this morning about how to take risks for the kingdom of God. And so we're going to be in Acts 8, uh, verse 26. And if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there. We're going to pray before we jump into the Word. God, thank you for your Word. I pray that it would become alive to us. And God, I just pray that all of us would have our hearts open to maybe hearing from you about a risk that you're calling us to take or being reminded of a risk that you already called us to take that we may be shied away from. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and was on his way home, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. He said, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. 
The eunuch was reading the pa- this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. So who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from this earth. And that was passage was Isaiah, the prophet, prophesying about Jesus Christ. And now listen to what he says. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Don't you wish every situation in life was literally this easy, right, to talk about Jesus? I mean, sometimes we kind of like have to force Jesus into conversation. But this guy was like, hey, tell me who this guy was talking about. He was in the exact passage of Scripture that... That, uh, that like, just like, it, it was kind of, essentially, this is a divine appointment. How I describe this divine appointment is that the bases are loaded and, uh, and the account is at three and oh, and you know this person's gonna serve you up a meatball, right? Like, that's what's going on here. Like, this is, this is tailor made to talk about Jesus. And so, boom, Philip says, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Again, just like tailor-made divine appointment. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and Philip baptized him. When the Lord suddenly took Philip away, then the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. All right. So what does this tell us about taking risks. I believe that Philip can teach us that risk-taking is all in how we look at the challenges that God sets before us. It's always all about perspective. And this morning, I want to talk to you about four different things that we need to kind of maybe start looking at or how we look at it changes our ability to say yes to taking a risk for God. And the first one is this, is that we need to stop looking for rationale. In order to take a risk for God, we need to stop. If you read in this passage a little bit before, in order to put this into perspective for you, in Acts 8, if you read in this passage a little bit before uh, this verse of 26, what's happening is uh, Stephen was, this guy named Stephen, uh, ended up becoming the first martyr of Christianity. He was the first person killed because of his belief in Jesus. And when that happened, a great persecution broke out amongst the early church. And so everybody scattered. It says that the believers of that time kind of said, hey, we got to get out of Dodge here. This is dangerous. Let's go. And what the devil meant is harm. God used for his glory by the fact that everywhere these people scattered to, they all brought the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ with them which was really awesome, right? So Philip happened to run to Samaria. And when he got to Samaria, he started preaching Jesus. And when he started preaching Jesus, everybody started getting saved. And this great revival broke out. And the next thing you know, people are getting set free and healed. And, and then they send Peter and John to them. And, and the next thing you know that people are getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. And all of this awesome stuff is happening. He is in the middle of revival. If this was happening today, we would probably send some sort of like, uh, you know, we would send some sort of news crew there and we would make a documentary about it. It would be a Netflix special and it would be awesome, right? And right in the middle of it all would be this guy named Philip. 
And he would have probably received a ton of adoration and a ton of praise. Be like, wow, Philip, you're such a great preacher. You're such a great pastor. Good job, Philip. And he had a career in ministry spelt out for him right here in Samaria. And then all of a sudden, what happens? God says, hey, Philip, I need you to leave. What? No, 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 God, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, do you see what's happening here? Do you see what's going on? That would not make sense for me to go to a desert road in the middle of nowhere where no one lives. I'm in the middle of revival. I'm in the middle of a city center. Thousands of people are getting saved. God, I don't think what you're asking me to do is very strategic. And it doesn't really make sense. So I'm just going to stay here (laughs) because I got that news crew coming next week and they're going to do a story. No, they probably didn't say that, but right. And so often we do the same thing. God starts to speak or tug and pretty soon we start looking for the rationale behind what it is that he's calling us to do. You know, I don't know, God, that doesn't really make sense sense. Now, I'm going to throw a disclaimer out there. I don't think that we should just take random risks just for the sake of taking risks. The Bible says, do not put the Lord your God to the test, okay? So we got to make sure that he has spoken, and, and it's okay to run things by editors and use common sense, but, but sometimes what God calls us to isn't going to make sense to the world. In fact, I think that anytime we give resources, energy, time, money to God, it's not going to make sense to this world, right? It's not going to make sense to this world. And we got to, sometimes we got to just stop overthinking it because before we know it, we'll say, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with a million reasons as to why this just doesn't make sense. And I don't know what it is that the Lord's been calling you to, to take a risk on. Maybe it's in the area of, like I said, your time and an investment of time. Maybe it's in the area of your finances. Maybe it's in the area of your reputation. Ah, it's just not worth putting my reputation at risk to have a conversation with this person. But whatever it is, what rationale has talked you out of a risk that God has called you to? In my life, uh, uh, we, we were, my wife Erin and I were getting ready to, we were praying about a move to Alaska. And, um, and we, it was kind of coming to kind of this de- decision point, And we got offered this, this job to come up to Alaska and, and work for a nonprofit. And they said, yeah, we, you, you can definitely plant Chi Alpha while we're doing this and, and all this stuff. And it looked pretty sweet. But that same week, I was teaching high school physics and biology, and, uh, and my boss came to me and said, hey, I'm retiring, and I would like to offer you this, this new job, and it was my dream teaching job. Now, some of you are here, and you're like, Steve, there's no such thing as a dream teaching job, all right? I, you couldn't pay me enough to hang out with those hooligans all day long. But this was, I really love teaching. I loved being in the classroom. I miss it to this day. And the, the job offer was to teach physics and AP physics, which meant two things. Number one is I only would have had people in my class that actually wanted to learn, which is the dream of every teacher, right? You actually want to be here? Wow, this is amazing, right? You want to learn? This is awesome. And not only that, but, 
But had I stuck with the career path of education, I had a dream of someday maybe teaching at the collegiate level. And so teaching an AP, a collegiate course, and getting my master's, that was kind of the next step in the direction of my career move. And so I was faced with this decision, not to mention the fact that Aaron and I scored this amazing gig in which we had this apartment that we were, uh, we were resident managers for, and literally rent was $100 a month, all right? It was awesome. We were saving money. We had this new job opportunity. Aaron was about to graduate, and job opportunities start coming in, and we were faced with this decision because... When they offered me this job in Alaska, they said, Steve, there's one catch. So we have, we know we have money to pay you for this first year, but after that, it looks a little foggy. We're not so sure after that. I said, okay, so you're at, you're saying I should move to Alaska, variable, and, and I'd only been married for a thing to give up this thing that's like very much very variable and, and I'd only been married for four months and all these things. No, Steve, you gotta, you gotta, the manly thing to do would just be to stay here and, and set down your roots and make sure that you can take care of your wife and all of these things. And we were praying through this and, and could feel like we were being tugged in one direction by God, but kind of feeling like we were tugged in one direction by the world. And we were, we came to an all night prayer meeting that our students, uh, were putting on and, and, uh, we were praying and, and during the prayer meeting, one of our students who had no idea that we were wrestling through any of this came up to us and said, Steve, I feel like the Lord gave me a word for you and Aaron. And I said, oh, yeah, bring it on. And, uh, and she said, you know, I, I, as I was praying for you, I just saw like a mental picture of you. And you guys were about to step out onto a ladder. And the first rung was there, but you didn't want to step out onto that ladder because the second rung wasn't there. And you had no idea if it was going to be there or not. And the Lord wants you to know that the second rung of the ladder has already been prepared for you. And even though you can't see it, and even though it might not look the way you think it's going to look, he's gone before you and he's prepared it for you. And you don't have anything to worry about. Isn't that good? And so I was like, shoot, I have to move to Alaska, right? And I'll never forget, I went and I sat down where Aaron and I had been praying that night. And I looked at her and I said, what would you think of that? And she looked at me and she had a smile on her face and she said, I'm ready to go now. <laughs> and in that moment, I realized that, you know what, this, there's, there, it wasn't going to be a sure thing. There was going to be risk involved. Yeah, my mom was going to freak out, right? And Aaron's dad was going to think that this new son-in-law of his was a little bit psychotic, Right? but that God was going to go before me and that there wasn't going to be rationale involved, but that's okay. The second thing that, that I think Philip can teach us in this moment is that we can stop looking for convenience. We need to stop looking for convenience. When God calls us into something, it's not going to be necessarily always at a convenient time in a convenient place. In this, in this story in Acts, Philip again, gets called from a thriving ministry to go to a desert road. Notice that it does not state what he is to do there. The angel did not give him specific instruction. He just said, go to the desert road. The desert road. Well, uh, to, to look at this geographically, 
for that time and historically for that time. The desert road that the angel was referring to was approximately 60 miles away from where Philip currently was. And more than likely, he traveled there on foot. And so that means he had a 60-mile journey just to get to a place that was a road that was 45 miles long. Some of us have a hard time hiking flat top, let alone 100 miles of hiking. Are you kidding me? And in the middle of the desert, you see this calling that God gave him was to an inconvenient place at a very inconvenient time. And isn't it true that most situations, when God brings it up, usually happen at an inconvenient place at an inconvenient time? And if we're not willing to inconvenience ourselves today, we will not be willing to inconvenience ourselves tomorrow. And I think sometimes we get caught up in this, right? We, we tell ourselves all the time, well, as soon as the kids are out of the house, then I'll have more time. Or as soon as hockey season's over, then I'll have more time. Or as soon as retirement comes, then I'll have more time. And maybe I can invest more time into this, that, or the other thing. Or maybe you say, well, if as soon as I get that raise that I've been hoping for, then I'll have more disposable income. And then I can do this. Or, or give this money to this initiative or this thing that Pastor Kent's been talking about. Or maybe you say, well, well, I, I know that I'm struggling in the area of purity right now, but, but, you know, it's really hard as a single person. And, and as soon as I get married, then I'll probably get better at this. And the reality is, is that sometimes we're waiting for a change in life chapter to change our character. And it doesn't work that way. The best day to start a habit that is going to develop maybe a spiritual discipline in your life or to say yes to God is always yesterday, right? And tomorrow is not going to be any easier to start that inconveniency than it was today. We tell our college students this all the time. We say, you know, I know you don't have any money right now. I get it. You're eating ramen noodles, right? But if you can't give now out of the, your, your, the minority of your finances, you will never, ever be able to give when you have much. Because this is a character development thing that needs to start somewhere. Risk-taking is a character development thing that needs to start yesterday. Or today, I guess. Don't be discouraged. Like, oh, I missed it. <laughs> Off the hook. No, it needs to start today. We'll say that. All right. <laughs> the third thing that Philip teaches us is that we need to see the reward and not the risk. We need to see the reward and not the risk. I think Philip counted it a, a worthy cause to go and meet this individual because he understood that God's purposes are eternal. What do I mean by that? I think there's two different people, types of people. Oh, there it is. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Sure up, Neil. We, uh, oh, there it is. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So, um, I am not a professional graphic designer, uh, and I made this in Microsoft Paint. So don't judge me. Okay. Uh, 
my wife is cringing right now because she is really good at graphic design. And she's like, wow, this is terrible, Steve. Uh, but uh, anyways, so sometimes we walk through life and this is how we look at the other side of saying yes to God. We make the risks so big in our heads and the fears get so big and they roll over and pretty soon they're so giant in our brain that it doesn't matter how great the reward was on the other side because we can't even begin to imagine it or see it. We have no vision of success and we don't have a big, it's not that we have a, maybe the problem is, is that we just, we have so much fear in our brains. And we walk away from this challenge every single time. But you see, what happens when we make the reward bigger than the risk, you can go to the next one, is that pretty soon, yes, is there risk involved? Of course. Serving Jesus is not going to be the easiest thing you've ever done in your life. There's no such thing as a Staples Easy button when you sign up for following God. There's going to be risks involved. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be hard, hard things that you face But when we see the things that God has called us to with the value that is placed on them, they become way bigger than all of those things. And how do we do this? How do we make this transition? You see, I think it's all in how we look at the things of the Lord. When is the last time you have dwelt on the fact that you are an eternal being with an eternal destiny and that the person next to you at work or in your neighborhood or whatever else, is an eternal being with an eternity and an eternal destination that they're going to end up in one day. Because when we start to look at eternity, eternity is infinite, right? And so therefore, any change in eternity is infinitely more important than the risks involved with making that decision, see? And the more we dwell on eternity, don't dwell on it too much because you might go cuckoo, right? But Because uh, I can't wrap my brain around eternity. But the more we dwell on eternity, the more we become motivated to the fact that, man, it doesn't matter how big of the risk, how big the risk is involved. It, it's going to be worth it if eternities have even the slightest potential of being changed. When uh, Aaron and I moved to Alaska, we were part of a... Uh, I think I've told this story at MCA before, but we were part of a ministry at North Dakota State University that had been around for 25 years. It was a well-oiled machine. I mean, it was like things were cooking, right? On any given Thursday night at our large group services, there'd be anywhere between four to 500 college students. And it just seemed like people were getting saved by the dozens every single week. It was just amazing, There's over a hundred small group leaders. All this stuff was happening. And then God called us to Alaska and we get here. And before we know it, we were, we went from that to, to like leading a small group Bible study in our living room. And Kyalpha started to grow, but every single week the devil would, would punch the same lie into my ear. And he'd say, Steve, what are you excited about? Why are you excited about the fact that there was a few people here tonight. You know that message that you just spoke to 40 people? You could have you could have spoke that to 400. Wouldn't have that been more important? What are you really doing here? You're not accomplishing anything. This is this is small. This is pittance. This is nothing. 
And I finally brought that to the Lord because I was sick of hearing it. I knew, there, I knew it was a lie. I knew there wasn't truth involved, but it was grinding on me. And the Lord, fin- the Lord I brought it before the Lord, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Steve, how, just time out. Let's get, we got to get your perspective straight here. Because you're not looking at this from an eternity perspective. You're looking at this from an earthly perspective. He said, Steve, how much do I love every single student at North Dakota State University? I said, well, you love them infinitely. You're God. You're infinite. You have infinite love. He said, how much do I love every single student at UAA? And he said, well, you're God. You love them infinitely. Well, okay, Steve, what's 400 times infinity? And I said, I think I can do that math. I think it's infinity. And, uh, and then he said, okay, what's 40 times infinity? Shoot. <laughs> you're right. It's infinity. And he said, Steve, I am far more concerned about your level of obedience than I am about your level of perceived earthly influence. And you, start, you will stop hearing this lie and listening to this lie as soon as you get your eternal perspective in check. You see, it doesn't matter... It doesn't matter how big the risk is involved. It doesn't matter how much we measure success on the other side. Oh, this is just a small thing. It's just one person. It's just my neighbor. It's just whatever. No, 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 no. If you take that risk that God's calling you to, eternity could be changed, which means that the success variable is literally infinitely awesome. And until we start seeing it that way, the risk will always have the potential to outweigh the reward. And I will never forget on July, or excuse me, on January 29th, 2015, was the day that our, we, we saw in our ministry in Chi Alpha, we saw our first student come to know Jesus, make a decision for Christ. And I'll never forget that day. Her name was Erica, and when, when she made that decision in that moment, I said, man, all of the risks involved up to this point have been totally worth it. Totally worth it. The fourth and final thing I want to share with you this morning, I don't think we can ever, we need to look for the launch. I don't think we can ever walk through a challenge or a risk without being changed. Because when we walk through a challenge or risk, Jesus walks through that challenge and risk with us. And when he shows us some sort of miracle or some sort of thing that he is capable of doing in that moment, what happens is, is we see a different view of his power. We get a different perspective of how awesome of a being he is. And we finally understand maybe an aspect of his character that we never understood before or at least in a different light than we'd ever seen before. See, in this story, Philip was removed from his ministry, and it says in verse 40 that he ends up going to other places to preach the gospel and eventually ends up in Caesarea. And 20 years later, we catch back up with Philip later on in the book of Acts. And what we find is Philip is still in Caesarea, still serving Jesus, and has obviously had a fruitful longevity of ministry with some blessing because he is there and he connects with Paul on his way through a missionary journey. And it says that Philip had four daughters that prophesied. This guy had created longevity in ministry, which tells me that obviously he did something right. And for many of us, 
what we're looking for is we're asking God for like this five-year plan, right? Like, God, oh, you're calling me to that. But, but before we do that, like, what's the retirement package going to look like for that said thing, right? I would like to see that. And, and could I see the benefits package on that? And maybe we could negotiate the salary for this new thing that you're calling me to. When in reality, God's like, listen, I'm not going to give you that because more than likely that's going to scare the snot out of you. But what I'm going to give you is the next five-minute plan because I know that you can handle the next five minutes. But you see, we can't expect to get to the five-year plan if we're not willing to say yes to the five-minute plan. And if you're feeling stuck this morning, like, man, my relationship with Jesus has just kind of become mundane. It's become dry. It's become kind of just stagnant. My question for you is, what is the last thing that God has asked you to do and step out into? And did you say yes to it? And if you didn't say yes to it, don't expect him to all of a sudden be like, oh, you didn't, you didn't like that? Okay, I'll give you this new assignment over here, right? And so we can't just be like, yeah, uh, sh- no, next, right? He's saying, no, 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 I need you before you're ready for this you got to be willing to do this because I need you to understand something about me. And when I journey with you in this moment, you're going to learn something that you need to learn in order to be ready for this battle. I think a lot of people, if I were to ask you this morning, who in here would like to see a miracle happen in you or through you? All of us, right? All of us love to see miracles. Would love to see a miracle happen through us. But are we willing to, to allow God to put us in a position in which a miracle would need to happen or we would be in big trouble? Very rarely are we willing to position ourselves in a place of that great of risk. And I made a decision a while ago in my life that I always want to live in a place in my life where unless God shows up, I'm going to be severely hosed, right? There's no more fun way to live life than that. And I'm not just some sort of weird adrenaline junkie, okay? It's just, it's, it's, it's amazing what God can do when he shows up. And he's going to show up. I think some of us want the Lord to to, to mold us and shape us and bring us to something new. But we got to understand is that when we go through challenges in life, it creates spiritual friction, right? There are things that happen. And when friction happens, there's a byproduct of friction. It's called heat. And when heat happens, our souls get warmed up. And when our souls get warmed up, then and only then are we moldable and shapeable and able to be refined. But if we're not willing to get into the heat, if we're not willing to get in the fire, as we just sang, we're never going to be molded and shaped into the purposes that God has for us. I love it. I love to see our college students finally understand this. And the worship team can come back up. Oh man, it is so much fun when they finally understand that, that Christianity is not about sitting on the bench. It's not about coming and receiving and receiving and receiving. It's about getting in the trenches with Jesus and fighting battles alongside of Jesus for people's lives. And when they do that, there is an intimacy that gets developed with Jesus that they never knew was possible. 
When they do that, there is character traits of God that they, that they start to understand to a depth that they never thought that they could run that deep with God. And I watch college students time and time again, and they say, oh, man, man, I, wow, God, if you can do that with that amount of time, oh, what could you do in this next season? If you could do that with that amount of energy, what could you do with this? If you could do that with that amount of me having to put my reputation on the line, oh, what could you be capable of if I just step out a little bit more? If you could do that with that amount of my finances, oh, what could you do if I surrendered more of that in your life? You see, when, when we start to take risks, we ready ourselves for the next thing. Imagine if we, we saw the victories of Jesus, we're able to say that we saw the victories of Jesus being so valuable that they would be worth anything. To say what challenge or risk, to look at every single thing and say what challenge or risk is the Lord presenting to me that might just be a catalyst that launches me into a new calling, a new direction, a new victory in my life. I don't know what that is for you. And I'm not saying that every single person needs to be called to be a missionary in this place, right? If you do that, you'll all be gone and Pastor Kent will show up to next week and say, Steve, what did you do? Right? But what I'm saying is that all of us, I guarantee every single one of us, either right now has avoided a risk that we said no to in the past, or there's currently something big or small that God is saying, hey, I need you to do this. I need you to take a risk. And are we willing to say yes today? We have prayer stations around the room. And these, around the room there's these cross, uh, cross stations and and there's post-it notes there. And if there is a risk that you say, man, I, I know I want to take this risk, but it's going to require some people to come alongside of me and pray. I invite you to find a sticky note right down there and the pastoral staff will pray over that need. We're going to take communion as well here. If uh, We invite you to take communion by yourselves today if, if you want to do that. But in the next few moments, I want us, as we sing these last song, this last song, to have this be an opportunity for us to make a resolution in our heart that says, listen, God, I'm going to have my yes be yes, and I'm not going to shy away from this. Maybe you're sitting next to your spouse right now, and you need to tell your spouse about what that is, and you say, hey, I need you to hold me accountable, or I need us to pray through this. I feel like God might be calling us to do this, or me to do this for our family, or whatever it might be, so that you don't leave this place and allow this iron to grow cold, but that you would strike when it's hot. So if you would stand with me in this place as we close in prayer, and we allow ourselves to respond to this, let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are a God that is so big and so mighty that it's not about taking risks, it's just about saying yes to you, believing that you're gonna go before us and be beside us and be pushing us behind us, God. You're going to be in it and with us, with us through it all. And so, God, I pray that we would be a men and women of God who would stop looking for the rationale, would stop looking to do things at a convenient time and convenient places, 
but instead that we would keep eternity in mind so that we could see the reward as being greater as of greater than the risk. And God, whatever it is that you're calling us to, would we believe that there's going to be something on the other side of that that is going to bless our relationship with you, is going to change us, and that we would never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen.